DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Drive through almost any neighborhood in Macon-Bibb County, and you're apt to spot some houses with crumbling facades, shuttered windows, and overgrown lawns. Those are among the county's nearly 4,000 unoccupied properties. Most are only in poor or fair condition, but more than 400 are in such bad shape they need to be demolished. Samantha Max has just wrapped up a series on blight for the Macon Telegraph, and she's joining us now from GBB in Macon. Hello, Samantha. Hi. Hi. Well, you have walked and driven through Macon, gathering data, taking photographs, talking with residents, nearly all of them having seen their corners of the city fall into disrepair. Kings Park is one of those neighborhood. Could you describe what that part of town looks like for us? Yeah, so Kings Park is a subdivision on the very eastern edge of Bibb County. Um, It was built in 1970, and it was, at the time, this really idyllic neighborhood. Um, And, you know, it's just about a dozen little side streets that all loop into one another. But over the years, it's really deteriorated. Um, You know, dozens of properties sit vacant, and you'll have one house where there's a homeowner that's lived there for decades and still weeds their lawn and keeps their house nice and fresh and clean. And then next door, there'll be, you know, a vacant house with boarded up windows and the roof caving in and weeds several feet high. That sounds like something that North Macon resident Marjorie Harrison talked with you about. Here, here's what she had to say. I don't know I mean, what the answer to blight is, but if they don't catch it, nip it in the bud then it escalates. I know that they are trying to do some whole neighborhoods right now, but uh, that that is really not the way to do it. To me, you need to start wherever there's good stuff and there's one thing that is messed up, correct that before it just... Now, Marjorie told you that people are moving away because of blight, but didn't Macon's blight problem begin before the present? When and why? Yeah, so blight has a long history in Macon, as it does in so many other cities throughout the county. Um, And there's not just one cause. It's really a compounding of factors. One is, you know, going back to the middle of last century when you saw white flight, you saw people moving out of the cities and into the suburbs, into newer developments. Um, And there were houses that were left behind. There were people that were left behind. Um, You factor in a surge of -of out-of-town landlords coming in, buying up properties, hoping to rent them out, and then deciding that they don't really want to put in the effort to be in the landlord business, letting the houses sit vacant and not taking care of them. Um, Then you've got heirs of people who, you know, they grew up in the home, their parents or their relative passed away, they left it to maybe one child or maybe a few children or cousins, and No one really wants to come back to town and take care of it or just doesn't have the resources to. Um, So it's really just all different reasons that kind of work together. You've also got people that might be in a nursing home and just not able to take care of their home. Um, 
And yeah, there's just no easy way to then come in because the only person that's really responsible is the property owner. Mm -hmm. Um, So if the property owner can't take care of it, then you're kind of stuck with your hands tied behind your back. Right. And then there are all these back taxes that accumulate, so it costs more and more money to save them. But are these 3,800 properties mostly homes or does that number include businesses too? It's almost entirely homes. Mm -hmm. I would say about 400 of them are commercial properties or institutional properties, um, but it's almost all residential homes. Are they all concentrated in one part of Macon or all over? All over. Um, I mean, they're definitely, for the most part, concentrated within the city limits, um, but it's really throughout Bibb County. It touches, I mean, I think what was really striking about working on this series is, I mean, the areas where you have one house after the next is vacant, I would say, are mostly in low-income neighborhoods in the city. But then you go out to these suburbs where, you know, you've got upper-middle-class people living there, and they have their own version of blight. It might look a little bit different. It might look like, oh, you know, the house is vacant. They're not cutting the grass. They're not bringing the trash cans in. Um, But it might also be, you know, a house that's completely dilapidated and threatening to bring down a neighborhood that before was pretty stable. And how do residents in these neighborhoods feel about the abandoned or neglected properties lining their streets? So the one thing that's universal is frustration. Um, Just in the past two days since the last story ran, I've probably gotten at least half a dozen emails and phone calls and Facebook messages of people in all different neighborhoods throughout the county telling me they're going through the same thing. They are calling their county commissioners, they're calling code enforcement, they're filing complaints, you know, and they're, they just feel like there's nothing they can do, no one is listening, and they're really frustrated because, you know, people pay taxes and they want to live here, but they want, you know, their neighborhoods to be safe and to be clean and for people to take pride in them and to feel like their elected officials and their government agencies are also doing their part. I'm speaking with Samantha Max, who covers health for the Macon Telegraph, and we're discussing our series on blight in Macon, Bibb County, where more than 4,000 properties lie vacant. That is a question. You cover health. How did you get into the urban neighborhood blight beat? That's a funny uh, answer, I guess. Um, You know, I think when I think about health, I think about the overall health and well-being of a community. Um, And a lot of the stories that I've gravitated towards, you know, I started with a lot of stories about access and then getting into, you know, I was seeing time and again just these issues of parts of our community and people in our community that were being left behind um, and that their stories weren't being told. And the blight You know, I think one thing when I moved to Macon, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, and when I saw all of these unoccupied structures falling into decay, a lot of them, you know, just a block from our newsroom, I was just so struck by, you know, the amount of it. And then I found out that we had a major shortage of code enforcement officers. So I ended up doing a story where I did a ride along with the director of code enforcement at the time. And he was telling me, you know, 
this issue is so huge and we just are not equipped to take care of it. So I thought, hmm, why don't I look into what the county is doing? I knew that in 2015, um, we had taken out $14 million in bonds to address blight and we're just getting to the end of that money now. So I wanted to check in on the neighborhoods that have gotten an infusion of money and see you know, how are these communities being affected? What more needs to be done? And also, you know, I think a lot of the communities I went into, the Telegraph has either never reported on or the only reporting you see coming out about it is reporting on crime and Mm -hmm. violence. And I wanted to tell the story of the people who live there in their own voices um, and not just focus on the negative, uh, but focus on why they love their communities, why they've stayed, why they're investing in it, and what they hope to see in the future. Well, there is research connecting blight to crime. 2016 study of low-income neighborhoods in Philadelphia found that firearm violence decreased when vacant lots were properly maintained. Another study found that demolishing vacant buildings in Saginaw, Michigan, reduced crime on the block by as much as 8%. What are some of the other data points on the consequences of blight on a community? Yeah, I mean, I think if you think about how you would feel living next to um, a bunch of blighted properties, a lot of the kind of results that studies have found are pretty intuitive. You know, we see higher rates of mental illness, higher rates of chronic illness, um, poor nutrition, and a lot of things aren't necessarily causation, but right. correlation. Correlated to uh, poverty in general. Exactly, because a lot of these are low-income neighborhoods that haven't gotten the investment, whether it's from the government or from grocery stores wanting to come in, from you know the education system. So it's all kind of just a ripple effect. You mentioned the frustration with city officials and the $14 million bond. How has that money been spent and has it been effective? I think that's a really good question. You know, basically $5 million were spent on certain special projects and then the remaining $9 million, each commissioner was allowed to decide how they wanted to spend it um, in coordinates with our blight consultant, Cass Hatcher, and the idea was that they couldn't just bulldoze houses. There needed to be some end use for the vacant lots um, because they ended up bulldozing about a little bit more than 200 properties. Um, But, you know, they created some pocket parks, they created some community centers, upgraded lighting, things like that. Um, But some of the people that I've talked to have said that this could cost as much as 30 or 40 million more dollars mm. to really solve. Um, and actually, a few county commissioners recently put up a proposal to take out 35 million more dollars, um, and that was tabled. So they're still kind of fighting to try to make that happen now. We've also got $11 million in SPLOST funding that's been devoted to blight to be used, I believe, over the next 10 years. But for all those things, um, the end use has to be some sort of community-serving use. So you can't just, you know, bulldoze and rebuild homes for people to live in. It would have to be some sort of community center or community park. So it just kind of limits your options a little bit. So I think people want to see how can you invest the money back into the community in a way that will really impact the people who live there now or people who would want to move in there and really take care of the neighborhood as well. 
Well, Samantha, I'm aware that this is your last week in Macon, and you're moving to Nashville for another job in June. So how are you reflecting on your time in Macon as you prepare to leave, especially having this story, as you mentioned, on neighborhoods that really hadn't been previously well covered for The Telegraph? It's a really um, bittersweet moment for me. It has been such a pleasure and a privilege to be reporting on this community. I have met so many amazing people through my reporting that will stay in my life forever. Actually, after I get off this interview, I'm going out to Kings Park to go meet up with one of the women that I met in my reporting there. Um, And, you know, I, I am worried It is a difficult time for local news outlets, um, and our communities deserve this in-depth coverage. I think that not only can they inform the public and inform the people who live in these communities, but it builds empathy. Um, You know, it's one thing to give data and statistics. It's another thing to report on crimes that are happening, but to really understand where you live You need to also hear from the people who live there and give them the platform to share their stories in an authentic way. Um, And that's really always been my mission. And I hope that that will continue at The Telegraph and at local newspapers across the country because the response I've gotten has just been really hardening. Um, You know, I think when you write a big story about a community, you're always worried how are they going to respond are they going to think it's fair um and you know i've gotten messages from people that i've written about telling me you're part of our family now Mm. or you know um one of the stories i wrote about a neighborhood called fort hill um you know the lead of the story was a man who is a rapper and he had been a drug dealer and I mentioned all of that in the story and he told me that the story made him cry and I think when you make a 44-year-old former drug dealer cry tears of happiness, you know you've done your job fairly. Samantha, you have and we will miss you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.